Hi and welcome to this week's episode of Learn with Gravaholic. My name is Marcus and I will be talking to Jonas, aka the Nordic Trailblazer or even the Gravel Viking. Uh, and here are some of the things that we're going to talk about today. As you don't think I look like a Viking? <laughs> no. Who does? Uh, yeah, well, maybe you, you, have, you have the beer, so. so that's probably why I, I use that nickname, even though I, I know there are people looking and potentially also are more Viking-like than I am. I, I never saw myself as somebody who would like to go to the US because I thought it was, you know, too uh, mainstream. <laughs> maybe I need a tactical coach. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, when I line up, um, I just get super excited. So yeah, Jonas, he will help us to explain where the whole Viking thing comes from and what it means for him. It's very, very interesting. So stay tuned and here is the full interview. Enjoy. Hello, Jonas. How are you today? Hey, yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Uh, I think I'm I would say I'm pretty all right, but uh, we had uh, the race down in Girona this weekend. Uh, came home uh, yesterday uh, in the evening, so uh, jet lag would be the wrong word, but I'm still a little bit, you know, trying to settle in again, going back to the winter in Norway. <laughs> yeah, that's we need we need we need to talk about that. But first and foremost, I think I want to say congratulations, right? You just got married, as I understood it, and you went on uh, your honeymoon which was maybe not the best way to prepare for, for the race this weekend. But nonetheless, tell me, where did, where did you guys go for the honeymoon? It looked awesome. Yeah, I mean, we, we, tr we tried to find a, a date that would work, you know, as me, er, for me as a rider, but also for my wife. Uh, and we thought winter wedding would be a good way to do it. Uh, I mean, maybe it would be easier if, we, if it was in December, because then you would have, you know, a little bit more time before the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, December and Christmas time is always busy for not only for us, but for uh, uh, guests as well. So yeah, the end of January would be a good time. Uh, I mean, we had a great wedding up in the mountains in Norway, and then we went on a honeymoon to Mexico to the beach. Uh, also really nice, uh, you know, really warm, uh, good, uh, relaxing uh, vacation. Uh, but yeah, um, I didn't bring my bike. I, I mean... My wife is not a rider herself. Uh, she definitely support me, but she, I think it would be maybe the wrong way to start our marriage uh, if I was, you know, on a training <laughs> camp. <laughs> so it was not that I, I planned to have a couple of weeks uh, without too much riding, uh, but she got actually food poisoned really early in, in the honeymoon, which was, um, oh no, uh, yeah, really, yeah, a really bad start to the vacation, but it gave me a little bit more time to to you know work out in the gym at the resort so uh, i did i did have time to uh, to move a little bit but uh going from i think also the traveling you know coming going from the other side of the world and back to europe and then i mean first norway and then spain uh made the preparation for sanawal uh quite challenging uh, but yeah it's fun to be part of the communities so that's that's my goal you know that was why i wanted to go to spain not necessarily to race or at least not for results, but just being part of it. Yeah, cool. Uh, we will speak more about that in a little bit. <clears throat> but just rewind a little bit now your history. I, I stalked you on uh, Pro Cycling Stats the other day. Um, and maybe you should just start with that as well. Maybe we don't know each other that well, right? We've, we've, we've been following each other on Instagram for for quite some time, I don't remember how long now. And we did bump into each other last summer as well on Gravel Grit and Grind in Hamstad, which was awesome. Uh, but yeah, in general, we don't know each other. So I was like, who is this Jonas guy? I need to really figure out who he is and what, what he's been up to. And yeah, first and foremost, it's very nice to see that you're like 10 years younger than me. So you have the, the future ahead of you, I, I assume. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but hey, your cycling career, you've been at it for quite some time, huh? That's, uh, I think, first, what was it, 2012 was the first entry in pro cycling stats or something? Yeah, that might be right. Uh, I mean, I, I started late for a rider. Like, I, I guess there's uh, many people starting late. I don't know when you started, Marcus. Um, when did you start? I, I'm, just, I'm just a baby. I just started cycling like four or five <laughs> years ago. So, uh, exactly. 
but I started, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I always wanted to be an athlete, and uh, at first it was uh, all about football or soccer, uh, and eventually I got into cycling through, you know, getting inspired on the TV. Uh, but at my first race, I think I was like 17 years old and starting with a junior. So, um, uh, so I, I guess I started a little bit late for somebody who wanted to really, you know, become a pro. Um, but it was a, a great start with the local club and it uh, eventually graduated to a UCI team. Uh, so that was 2012. No, sorry. Third, yeah, 12, 12 was the first year it was the UCI team. Uh, and I've been around in different teams since then, uh, mostly UCI or uh, national elite level. Uh, but yeah, I like I eventually I realized, you know, I tried to be a pro rider and be the best I could, but I also really enjoyed. The... So yeah, I started going to different UCI teams, and eventually I I realized that what I did love about cycling wasn't only about racing even though I always like to be competitive and um, more for myself than beating others but uh, I like to be in, in good shape but I also love the traveling part you know the experiences going around meeting people uh, new places so um, I guess in 2014 I had a chance to go to UCI team in China so I stayed. Oh, yeah, in... I was going to ask you about that because I saw in your pro cycling, it was like one year that was basically only Chinese races. Yeah, I mean, That's I raced a little awesome. bit locally. Yeah, I raced locally in Norway and a little bit in Europe before I went down or over to China. Uh, but it was really a fun experience. It was a mm -hmm. UCI team. It had several European riders, so I was not only with Chinese speaking people. But it was uh, an amazing adventure, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm also, you know, I was, I was ready to move on the next year. It wasn't like I, I wanted to to move to China, but I really liked, uh, the, I liked experiences there, and I've been over to China five times for for racing. Um, so yeah, definitely, I, I started falling in love with adventures of riding as well. Cool. <clears throat> I just need to come back to what you mentioned earlier that. You got inspired by watching cycling or was there any specific like uh, i mean cycling is a little bit different if you compare it to football right because you might have a one team that you're rooting for but in cycling my perception is that people are more sort of maybe following one rider and then if they switch team they actually follow that person rather than a specific team or so but how was it with you like what was it that inspired you was it our specific race like Tour de france or was it a special rider or where, where did that inspiration come from that sort of triggered you starting to cycle? <laughs> it's a good question. I, I haven't thought about, you know, one specific idol or something, but um, first off, I just enjoyed watching the tour since it was maybe the only race they uh, broadcasted in Norway at the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe there were a few more, but the Tour de France was a popular one. Um, and we did have some good Norwegian riders that actually, I think, had a, an impact on me. But I, I always, I don't know, I always liked a little bit underdogs. Um, and I do remember some of the Ascotel, Ascotty riders. They, they were one of the teams with uh, maybe the most um, passion or uh, at least it was all these orange kits, uh, all the fans. Uh, I get really inspired by them and some of the riders, Samuel Sanchez and some of these guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I also understood that there was a challenging time when I started watching the end of um, the, I mean, the beginning of the 20, uh, 2000s uh, when it was a lot of drugs. And, and I do yeah. remember one of the years I was really a big fan of, of cycling. I uh, really wanted to see the whole tour. And then one week before, then you had the operation, uh, operation Puerto, where uh, I think at least one third of the, um, of the peloton was uh, thrown out of the race. So mm. uh, I, I don't think I had specifically one rider or one team that I really rooted for, yeah. uh, except uh, I did like the Euskadi. Cool. But then, uh, I mean, choosing such a sport in Norway, right? I'm from Sweden and, and I also live in, in the southern parts of Sweden. So, I mean, it, there's a quite a difference actually sort of 
what is it longitude in that direction i don't i don't now my my geographic uh, memory <laughs> knowledge is not the best right now but nonetheless so i i live in the southern portion of sweden and i mean it's challenging to have a season long enough to be able to cycle and to do proper training but you from you guys from norway it's like seriously how how can you choose such a sport yeah, i mean i understand why endurance sports like you know, Nord, nordic skiing and, and stuff like that is is really big in norway but cycling and you as you said you have norway has produced some really big names and been quite successful as well why why do you think that is and and how is that even possible in norway oh yeah um it's a good question i think uh, for first of all, we have a long tradition of endurance sports, uh, especially cross-country skiing, uh, also skating on the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people in Norway, they, they naturally like to be active and also for a little bit longer time, not only, you know, like um, a lot of sports is very uh, explosive. I think the Norwegian nature is more... Um, endurance directed so people like you know like the back to the vikings you know they always went on all these long travels uh, across the atlantic or other places they really i think uh, we maybe are quite a patient people potentially so uh, maybe that uh, has something to do with it so it's definitely a culture for endurance sports and then i i i don't want to compare too much to other countries but i do think norwegians uh, do have a good work ethics uh, also when it comes to sport so we are not uh, the people that are skipping workouts or uh, you know going too much on the field we are very structured people and I do think a lot of um, that has to well is contributing to that we have some really strong riders even though we are a small country mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I can I can see that um... I can definitely see that. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's we shouldn't sit here to compare too much, as you said, countries back and forth. But it is interesting that culture do difference, and 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 there there are these sort of prerequisites. And nonetheless, despite the Norway being such a uh, cold country and the short, cycling season is fairly short, it's still very uh, a big sport. I mean, you also tour of Norway is a huge race by now as well, right? These big names coming, Um so it's it's really really cool. But yeah, you mentioned one thing. You mentioned one thing with with Vikings earlier, and one of your taglines. Now we need to talk about your name or your kind of name, aka uh, Nordic Trailblazer. But it also says Gravel Viking on on your uh, Instagram, right? So tell me, where is this coming from, the Nordic Trailblazer, and how was it born? And was it, what does it mean to you? Yes, you don't think I look like a Viking? <laughs> no. who does uh, yeah well maybe you you have you have the beer so yeah. Um, but yeah i guess i don't look like a viking but i do have some i feel like the, the vikings they were not only um the warriors um even though that was a big part of what you know what they're known for they were also travelers they they mm. did enjoy uh, going for adventures going all uh, around the world um you know they there's a lot of um trace back to the vikings being the first in america uh also all all around the the northern parts of the world but i i do think they potentially were also down in europe and maybe in africa but yeah or anyway so they like to travel they were adventurers and they were hard-working people uh, and not afraid of um of challenges and that, I think that's something I resonate with. I, I do think, and I, I look at myself like somebody who are not too afraid to try to go new places, to um, be adventurous uh, and work hard. Um, so I guess that's kind of why I, I wanted to use that, uh, um, yeah, the Viking as uh, something I can try to be associated with. Uh, and also because I do race, you know, quite a lot of, places in the in the world in the us uh, europe uh, in asia as we talked about so it's just nice to kind of have your roots with you when you travel um so that's probably why i i use that nickname even though i i know there are people looking and potentially also are more viking like than i am um <laughs> and then um we, we we thought about you know how can we 
separate ourselves from just being a, a regular rider. Um, and when I say we, it's uh, it's me and a friend that we've been working on my website since 2013. And we, we have a lot of fun together uh, going to some races. He's a good photographer as well. Uh, and we have this branding we, we created and now we renamed it for the Nordic Trailblazer um, because we thought it would be fun to do something a little bit different than what everyone else seems to be doing. Uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. you have your own nickname, the Gravelholic. Uh, I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, a lot of riders, they use their own name, which is totally fine. Um, but it's hard to separate yourself from everyone else. Uh, and if you're not winning races, uh, you're just one of the many. So uh, mm-hmm. we thought, okay, we have to do something a little bit unique. Uh, so the trailblazer is uh, is somebody who goes new ways, who tries to uh, look up new trails or new places to go. Uh, and gravel is a new path uh, in cycling. It's uh, it's definitely growing, uh, and it's been pretty big already in the US and growing in Europe. In Norway and the Nordics is still something that is uh, under development, and I think it will keep growing. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's right path for me. Um, you know, I've been always loving to experience and go in new places, which gravel also leads me to a lot of new roads where you wouldn't be able to go on a road bike, which was what I started with. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, it also fits me as I mean, the gravel fits me also because it's it's a long distance uh, sport usually. I mean. A lot of gravel races now, the UCI calendar, they have really sh- pretty short races, like three hours maybe, you know, uh, in the US and, and what gravel, it, how it was created, it was often uh, a long distance event, mm-hmm. a long day where you didn't know if you would manage to finish or how it would be uh, to finish a race. Um, so so I like that part of, of the adventure part of gravel. Got you. But I <clears throat> now when you speak about that as well, like wh- one of the things that pre- pretty much stands out as well when you look at your race calendar and what you've done the last couple of two years now, 2022 and 2023 primarily, you spend a lot of time in the US, right? So, I mean, I think you, I don't I don't know all the riders that that sort of crosses the pond over to the to America to to attend those races there, but I would I would guess at least is that you are probably one of the few from the Nordics that has actually spent that much time uh, in that gravel peloton over there in comparison to I mean there are there are a few others like the Dutch mafia right uh, with them Norsten Dam and, and all his his crew they they travel quite frequently over as well but from from Europe you are one of the few why how do you what's what's the reasoning what how how do you feel about that and what sort of have you integrated yourself into that clique now with, with all those cool guys over there? Actually, to be honest, I when I went to China uh, and I've been to Africa for racing and, and Russia and, and a lot of crazy places, I, I never saw myself as somebody who would like to go to the US because I thought it was you know too uh, mainstream. Uh, but then actually I, I did a charity event in Cambodia and, and Vietnam with Hope for Justice. And one of these guys also riding that charity event, he invited me to come to Dallas. This was 2019. So I thought, okay, let's let's try it. Go on a training camp or, or racing with a local team. Uh, and I, I just fell in love with America. I, I don't know, it's just the, the positivism. Uh, like people are so optimistic, uh, at least on the surface, but it like, it's just, uh, it inspires me that people are, you know, not afraid of, of innovation or trying new things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when you go to all these gravel races, you see so many people that, are, you know, they would struggle just being in a regular spinning class, you know, in the training in the, in the local gym, but they are still going out for a 200 mile unbound, you know, so people are just, uh, you know, they're just taking the risk, which, uh, I think is, is very fun in sport at least that people are not mm-hmm. afraid of uh of, of failure um yeah so so after i i was there in 2019 i i realized this is something i want to do more of um i met a lot of good people uh i have a team and, a, and at least a cycling club there uh, and a shop that supports me 
So uh, if it wasn't for Emba, uh, sorry, it was if it wasn't for COVID, I would be would have been there also in 2020. But because of COVID, mm. uh, it wasn't easy to get access to America. So um, it was a couple True. of years I didn't go. And then when I had a chance last year, I mean 2022, um, I, I I went <laughs> for six uh, weeks. Uh, had a lot of good racing, really enjoyed it. Uh, went back in October for a couple more races. And then last year, it was another, uh, I think I went over four times, uh, stayed two to three weeks. So um, definitely got a little bit involved in the community and, and the racing there. And I do lo- I love it. It's just, it's super fun. Uh, it's really inclusive. It's not necessarily like... Um, you know, I've been racing on the road for so many years and, and it's very competitive and it's fun, but it's something else with the gravel uh, spirit. If you can say that it's still alive, that people are very inclusive, it's, uh, it's your own adventure. And in the US, I feel like that that spirit is still alive. Um, and it is in Europe as well, uh, in the Gravel Earth series. It's a great inclusive spirit with riders of all levels. And there are some races that are more going towards road racing in gravel. So, um, so there's different paths in gravel, but in the U S I just feel like it's a good mix of elite and pro riders and also very inclusive riders. If I, if I remember correctly, you said that you, you're so integrated that you actually have your own bike still standing in, in the U S right. You don't travel with your bike back and forth. You have one standing in, in, or do I remember it incorrectly or was it? Yeah. Yeah, last year I had one bike there. The yeah. bike shop, they took care of everything. So I could travel awesome. in to the US a couple of days before the race, just pick up my bike and go to the race. And I even had friends or or uh, I could lend a car from that shop. So I was I was really, really blessed and, and how, uh, lucky to have the support there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see how it develops because it's hard to to race in two different continents and, and keep all those yep. relationships and and sponsors and, and what you need. Mm. But I gotta I gotta ask you, you you um you race with with a felt bike, um and it seems like they are really stepping up their game when it comes to um, to gravel, right? I mean, you and the iconic almost legend Nikki Terpsta was the sort of the main names last year on their roster. Uh, first, I need to ask you, like, how does it feel sort of to be riding next to Nikki. He was also in Hamsta, by the way, and, and he performed really well. He even won the race, right? So, uh, but that's that's one thing that I wanted to ask you. And then second thing, now now they're ramping up even even more, right? With Dylan Johnson, Adam, Adam Robert, and, and so forth. Um, so it seems like they're really trying to up their game when it comes to, to gravel as well, to take a part of that uh, pie. Oh yeah, definitely. They um, they want to be part of the big wave that is going through the cycling uh, sport of cycling, um, and yeah, it's it's fun to be. I guess I started before a lot of these uh, expert riders. I started um, racing on the gravel a couple of years back, and in, in two thousand twenty two, it was not that many riders that were had like a world tour uh, background. You had some in the US, of course, and Lawrence and Dom and. and Peter Sterina and, and a few others. But now it seems like a lot of these people are not, they're not ending their career on the road. They just uh, shift towards gravel. Um, the last one I saw now was um, Greg van Avermaet. He was going to do the Unbound and Finland Gravel. So two races I'm also doing. So it's fun to have those really high level riders next uh, next to you when you race. It's, uh, it's mm. special. Um, but they are human as well, and I'm I, I never made it to that level they are on. But I can still be competitive, and if I have a great day, you know, no punches, no issues, I can I can be up there. Uh, so it's inspiring, I would say. Uh, I remember in Seattle and Nikki Terpstra, mm-hmm. he was there, and uh, it's just fun to see. It's it's hard actually to to kind of uh, figure that or to to, to see it for um, in front of you or um, but I mean. It's hard to understand their background, really, because you, I didn't race the the Paris Roubaix, so it's hard for me to kind of uh, understand what Nikki has done, you know. So, uh, yeah. but it's uh, it's just inspiring to have those riders in the 
in the peloton as well that's super cool what um a little bit on your sort of riding style or, or tactics i mean it's really really hard to interpret or to follow gravel races right it's it's difficult and some they try to do it in the US and and uh, I mean the only race that we saw now last year from was the UCI World Championship basically and you basically only saw the last hour and it was not that much fun to follow because it was all, more or less already settled what was going to happen but you you have um have I understood it from from reading your posts and stuff like you you kind of ride aggressively right you try to get in the breakaway sometimes you try to sort of stay in the front quite a lot what what what's your thinking there what's your strategy <laughs> maybe i need a tactical coach <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no I, I i don't know uh i when i line up um i just get super excited um but i i have the experience as well i know it's i can't go full out from the gun but i can be tactical and trying to um to follow the right people and be in the right position uh, and sometimes i feel like being up front in a small break or whatever is is a good place to be because uh, as you mentioned some of the really amazing riders like nikki terpstra and, and, and other other ex-pros riders when they are really pushing it in the climbs it's very hard to follow so if you can be a little bit mm. up the road it may be a good position to be when they catch you and in Halmstad, I remember that really well. I, I was in a four-man breakaway. Uh, felt pretty good. Uh, eventually, with 30 kilometers to go, we got caught by the first eight riders, uh, really strong riders. And that was on top of the really challenging, loose gravel part of the course. Uh, I know which one and, which you mean. <laughs> yeah, it was. I guess there was many people who had to run that climb because it was really loose. Uh, yeah, but I made it to the top before I got caught. Uh, if it wasn't because of my chain drop in the downhill, I think I would stay with that group for at least a long time. And it would be a perfect position for a potential top 10. At least if I got dropped there, I would still have a good chance for the group behind. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's nice to be aggressive and gravel is, is different than road because on the road is, it's always good to hide in the peloton, uh, to save energy. And, and usually you will always save if you're in the peloton, uh, on the road, you will always mm. save energy. Uh, yeah. but on the gravel, like there's so many things that can go wrong and you don't have the same drafting. So I think actually being up front is a, often a good tactic, but you have to, you know, you have to consider spending that energy and some of these races are so long. So if you go out way too hard, you're going to blow up eventually because you use all your energy storage. So it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a risk. Uh, sometimes I, I like to take that risk and hopefully being in a better position for the end. So, uh, no, but I do like I, to race aggressive I, and, and as a, as a gravel Viking, I guess I have to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, my point of view, I, I'm not strong enough to be in the front, but to, to be on someone's wheel on a gravel road, I mean, and you can't really see ahead of you. It's not as doing the same thing on a, on a tarmac sort of smooth paved road because you yeah it's really really difficult with with potholes with stones with rocks with whatever roots there might be that you might have to sort of go go um go over just having being on someone's wheel and it's, it's kind of scary to be honest in comparison to doing it on on on, on the road i mean you see that there's a lot of crashes as well in the peloton on the roads so there there's no doubt about that but it's it's yeah. a, it's a different game it's a different game for sure um i need to ask you one thing about your bike i it was so obvious as well about from the last uh, picture that you posted that was sort of dead center front view and now you guys that are listening to the podcast won't be able to see this but basically jonas has hoods and he has quite you have a quite radical flare on your bars and then the hoods as well is quite turned in and um, i wouldn't I, what, yeah, so okay, UCI legal or what's your <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's the thing with with uh I mean I like that the UCI is is uh also going into gravel. Uh but it means that it will be a lot of more regulations, which probably is fine for mm. for the long run because uh, if it's no regulations there might be a lot of stuff going on eventually when when gravel is uh, gravel is growing. But 
before last year or before this year, sorry, it was uh, allowed to have the bar, uh, the bar ends in. So I, I just kept it like that. And now for the, the last race, it was Gravel Earth Series, and they are not so strict about regulations. So I kept it. But uh, it's good when you you <laughs> want to be aero and on on the gravel, you, you don't not going as fast as on the road, but you will still benefit if you can save uh, wind resistant and be aero. So so I, that's why I, I wanted to have them that far in, so I could kind of. Uh, lean against them when i almost you know yeah. like uh, uh time trial I, I position but, uh, as well, to be honest. yeah but I, but i do realize for the ucr races i need to to adjust them back a little bit straighter yeah. and... got you um one one thing that i'm curious to talk to you about is this um uh, you're, you're, I mean, you need to tell me what it is, like really the non-profit Green Cycling Norway. Um, what is that and how are you engaged in that and what what does it mean to you? So in 2015, um, a friend of mine and I, we re- realized there are no green initiatives in cycling. Um, and we wanted to make an elite cycling team. So we thought that was a good way to combine things that we value Um sustainability and also trying to get partners and sponsors involved uh, it was harder than we thought at the beginning that this was like to, as i said 2016 uh, it was a little bit before like now every company has a, a green approach in some way uh, at least that's what they, they say on their website so i mean now it's it's more important for them to be uh, having that uh, statement that they want to support green um, initiatives uh, but we realized that what we could do, maybe we wouldn't manage to make a full cycling team, but we could uh, organize cycling schools for kids. Uh, and we got uh, governmental support, applying grants and, and uh, difference to have those kinds of cycling schools. Uh, and it became kind of my, uh, my work. I am uh, educated coach, cycling coach. So I also coach athletes. Uh, riders, uh, but I started doing this cycling school product projects, and we uh, last year we had about thirty-five days of uh, cycling schools in different schools uh, for more than one thousand kids, and it's it's great. I mean, it's nice to help the kids experience the joy of cycling that I uh, always found, but also uh, being able to help some of the kids to learn to ride because. We see that even in Norway, one of the richest countries in the world, there are kids without bikes. Uh, they don't know how to ride. Um, and it's not par- it's not inclusive. You know, you want cycling to be inclusive, not only in the sport, but also in the community and the society. Um, and if some kids are not uh, able to learn to how to ride a bike because they don't have a bike or their parents, they can't help them to learn it and uh, it's not inclusive anymore so that's uh, what we are doing a lot uh, of with the green cycling uh, we have those cycling schools going to different schools having um, trainings and exercises with with bikes and they love it and it's fun for us that's super super cool that's amazing imagine in five ten years there's a girl or a boy that, that wins Paris-Roubaix or Tour de France. And then they, they, they say, how, how did you get into cycling? And they refer to, to you as their sort of starting point. How would you feel about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about it in that longer. And um, I think there is an impact to what we're doing, but it's hard to, to see the long-term effect of it. But uh, that would be really awesome if we could have those stories. <laughs> That's super, super cool. Wow, so so that that's you spend a lot of time then actually doing, working with this nonprofit, um, as I understood it. Yeah, I I consider me a professional cyclist, but it depends, of course, where you put that name. Like professional, what is professional rider? And in gravel, it seems like a lot of people uh, that call themselves professionals. They have some kind of side projects. And for me, it, it makes totally sense to have coaching and having cycling schools next to that. I'm serious about my training and uh, trying to have a, a good racing calendar and perform in those races. 
uh, I think it's just an overall picture that that makes sense and what I may yeah I just love being involved in all aspects of cycling uh, so hopefully I can keep doing that even though I, I you know I'm 33 so I, I realized uh, I cannot always you know go to the US four or five times a year or or you know train as uh, as good as possible to race in the elite world championship uh, but yeah I can still be involved in cycling and, and do a lot of good stuff and also enjoy those races and just being part of the community so uh, I look forward to the future even though I, I understand being you know like a nomad you know traveling all around the world racing uh, it's a lifestyle that I, I can't uh, see myself doing uh, for the rest of my life but I Definitely. I think cycling has given me so many opportunities and I look forward to see what's next. That's super cool. What? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask this question, but I will do it anyways. So how, how's it going? Are you trying to influence your, your now wife to start cycling as well? Uh, I don't think she will listen to this podcast. She's not that into cycling at the moment, so I can, I can be honest, sir. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I hope she will. She likes cross-country skiing. Um, she bought an e-bike uh, last year. Uh, I do think now, eventually, she will uh, like to go out riding with me. So actually, we're, we're talking about going to Denmark in April to do one of the gravel races there. Um, mm -hmm. And my argument for, for her is that we can go out riding together as well. Uh, going to a bakery, you know, just enjoying that Sunday, and then I can race on that Saturday. It's, it's a good week, a good weekend. So, so yeah, I think I tried to get her involved, but little by little. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. In my in my case, it was actually the other way around. It was my wife that that was a cyclist, and and she kind of influenced me in a very indirect way. She never tried to push it on me to start cycling. I was like. Mm, this this is actually interesting. I need I need a new way to sort of exercise, and uh, yeah, maybe I should look into cycling. So that's how I started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, speaking speaking about races in twenty twenty four, what's uh, what's your schedule now? I I saw you 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 put some some of them on Instagram, but walk me through it. What's your plan now? Um, yeah, so the Sun of Well was more of a I don't know. A fun training weekend. I mean, it was proper racing there, but uh, it was not part of my racing calendar uh, per se when it comes to being in form. I hope to be able to to get in some good races before Traka, which is my main goal of the spring before Unbound, um, uh, which I'm also registered for. Uh, I will do the Gravel Locos. Uh, it's May 18th. So uh, the, the May will be probably pretty busy. And then I have uh, Finland Gravel in Lati. Uh, it's a great mm -hmm. race. Um, some local races in Norway. Uh, the Rift is one of the biggest, uh, I would say, especially for us coming from Nordics. Uh, so mm -hmm. I look forward to that. Uh, I will do some UCI races, Halmstad. Um, I think I'm going to be back in Bergslagen. I, I love that one up in... Um, uh, it's over at, at yours almost in Sweden. Yeah. So, uh, and then I organize a couple of, yeah, I do organize a few local races as well. Uh, so it's just fun oh, to okay. have, yeah, to have some events that I'm involved with. Uh, I can share, you know, the, the gravel uh, experience to others. So, uh, so, that, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. And, um, uh, and then the end of the year, I hope to uh, be back at the World Championship and also uh, probably be back in the U.S. for uh, Big Sugar and Belgian Wolf Ride in Kansas. So quite a lot of racing. Uh, in, in That's an awesome schedule, dude. I wish, I, wish, I, wish, I wish I was able to do the same. That would have been such an epic schedule. I, I'm a little bit envious, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> But definitely welcome to the, the Norwegian event. I'll try to, to have you over. That would be, that'd be awesome. That would be I think cool. you would enjoy it a lot. Yeah. That's uh, September um, 7th, Nesfele Gravel Duro. Cool. Uh, speaking about uh, the World Championships, I need, to, I need to ask you about this. I mean, obviously, white kits and white bibs is a little bit of a divider in the, in the community. Um, and, but you, you really rocked 
the white kit with white bibs on uh, on the world championships what was the reactions that you got yeah in 2022 the first year they had a world championship i had a euro uh kit uh, when I started racing, um, Euro, I don't know if you remember the Euro rules. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of rules how you should dress as a cyclist. And then White Kit was always, yep. you know, and then Cipollini, he was the god, you know. So uh, so doing a White Kit racing in Italy makes totally sense. Uh, but it, it got dirty. Um, so one of the, I had two set of kits and one of them are still, uh, I had some really fanatics that are that wanted the kit they helped me out there with feeding and and uh, mechanical work down in in italy and they wanted the kit just you know in all the dirt and all the sand uh, and sweat that it it had so it's still on the wall uh at their place so um uh so yeah i don't know i guess some people uh, accept that gravel is a dirty sport i don't need to have everything uh, white and clean uh, and when you just see that it's been used maybe it makes uh it gives a little bit uh, added value to it so um but for me i i mean i i chose black shoes and black bibs but uh i think it's it's nice to have a little bit you know colorful kit as well and not going all black yeah no, I, it was definitely easier to see where where you were and, and to re- recognize you on pictures and stuff like that when you when you have a white kit like that. <laughs> What's now? Now when we're talking about kits, I need to ask you about this. Have you seen now the latest? Uh, I watched the UAE tour yesterday, and um, the difference it's really really hard to differentiate in between like the Koenig, Alpecin, um, which else is it? Israel startup. Uh, there's like three or four or even five now that they basically look all the same. What's your opinion about that? I think uh, uniqueness is is a good uh, good thing. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would uh, trying to differ- difference myself and my kid from others. I think there's so many people that are uh, in gravel. There's so many people that have been coping the the cool uh, Rafa kit, you know. Uh, so I think it's it's nice with those that tries and, and being a little bit different and unique. So that would be my yeah. my take on it. Don't follow. Yeah. Be a be the leader, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, EF is really doing a really good job there. They they are definitely differentiating themselves oh, yeah. from the bunch, <laughs> for sure. Um, what what about? Can you give any sort of ideas, thoughts of inspiration, um, things to think about if you want to speak to the audience now? If they are sort of thinking about also getting into more the racing scene of gravel what is there to consider what is there maybe to consider as well when it comes to building partner brand uh, partner um ambassadorship and partnerships um any thoughts on that that you might be able to share with us yeah it's a wide question um first of all i would like to say if people are considering to go into gravel and be part of the events uh, just do it because it's it's uh, a very inclusive community. That, like people want you there. Um, they want to to have you. They want to have fellow riders to share their own experience with. So it's not like you know people in gravel are not competing about uh, being the coolest or the best. They just love to share that adventure with others. So that's my first uh, like um, encouragement. Is just to to be involved in it and, and try uh, try to be there because people want to have you there and then also it's uh, it's about let's say um let's talk about the equipment side of things like uh, you don't need that specific bike i mean you need uh, wider tires that would then what you would need on the road um probably 35s or wider you can even ride on a on a mountain bike it's not going to be that much slower so uh, I also want to to lower that threshold of becoming a gravel rider or being part of the events that you don't need to have the, the coolest or the most high-end equipment if you don't want to try it with whatever you have and then if you love it and then you can of course uh, make a wish list uh, so, so I think that's important also to uh, acknowledge that 
there's not really a, a rule to what you need to have or use for a gravel event. Um, and then the last thing you, you were talking about is sponsorship and ambassadorship. And uh, I think it's different in uh, all parts of the world and, and who you talk to. Uh, I think what's unique with gravel is the inclusiveness that you also, not only are you, you can be a role model, but you can also be very uh, connected to other riders that are on different levels. So, uh, for example, in gravel uh, series now in, in Sanaval that I did, uh, after the race, you had everyone, all riders from the top level riders that were last year racing uh, World Tour races to first timers coming together for the bike, um, the venue, uh, eating uh, pizzas and drinking beers, if, if you like that, or just uh, just enjoying that you know that experience of being part of the community and everyone are welcome to talk to everyone and it's very inclusive and very nice to be part of uh, and i think that's unique with gravel that you are getting connected with others and that should be interesting for brands who wants to be connected with everyone uh, that they actually support people that are in the community and are connected with potential buyers so uh, it's different than soccer, where you have people running on the court and or on the pitch, and you never talk to them. In cycling, you actually are involved and can talk to them and get ideas yeah. and tips. So, I, so I like that part of cycling, and I think uh, brands should also uh, really yeah. take advantage of that. How do you feel? Um, do you have people that come come to you like and oh, you're the Nordic uh, trail racer? Like, uh, I want to take a picture with you, or how are you doing, Jonas? Blah, blah, blah. So, what's what's that like for you when you go to events? Yeah, I mean, there are there are people that are following me and and heard about me, and I appreciate them them coming over to me. Uh, I'm not the biggest rider usually in those races, you know, when you have. As you said, Nicky Terpstra, or you have Greg Van Avermaet, you know, there, and or Dylan Johnson. I, I, I really like Dylan. He's a great guy, and he's definitely a, a famous guy in, in the gravel sport. So there, there are often people that are more popular and, and known than I am, uh, which is fine. Then uh, it gives me a chance to connect with others and have more time to those actually coming over to talk to me. So. I uh, really enjoy people uh, connecting, like you did, Marcus, in Halmstad, coming over, taking a photo, talking a little bit. Just great fun. So um, if people are doing the same events as I am, then please come over. Cool. I, I want to ask you as well, because now Sandaval, connecting back to what we what you started talking about today as well, the, the, the event that you just did this weekend, it was a three-stage race, right? It was uh, climbing thingy climbing uh groups climbing groups groups mass start right uh friday then queen stage saturday and then a shorter punchy stage on sunday right as i understood it yeah uh, it's, it's there, there aren't too many there aren't there aren't too many stage gravel stage races gravel grit and grind and hamster is one of the few and this now is maybe the second one that i potentially even hear about so there's not too many what's your point on uh, or what do you th feel about gravel stage racing yeah there's um there are i guess a few um there are both pros and pros and cons to those uh the pros are definitely and that was the reason i also went to sanoval that you can have more days of racing when you travel and often if you go to gravel races it's a long travel there's not that many races, uh, so you you better like traveling if you want to have a calendar. Uh, so that, therefore, it makes sense to have several stages. The other thing that is a little bit difficult with those stages is um, that in gravel, often you have technical problems, like you have punctures, you may have um, chain that, uh, what is called, are uh, split it or... or destroyed or whatever like the bike mm -hmm. um wear is high on gravel so it's not yeah. always you want to have several stages where you have all that stress of putting your bike together and finding out everything so it's um if you have a mechanic or the event have some kind of support mechanical support and uh, then it can be real fun to have several days back to back 
Uh, but it's hard though. <laughs> it's very hard because, uh, especially if you have longer stage races, I mean, Halmstad is not that long, uh, usually 120 kilometers, a good day of riding, but uh, not that long. And in Sanaval, it was even shorter. Uh, yeah. so, uh, so that then it's possible, but if you have longer races, like, you know, unbound is extreme on 200 miles. So three, 20 kilometers or other events, you know, like are close to 200, it's, uh, you're going to be pretty wasted after one day. And if you're not, uh, Mattia De Marchi or some crazy endurance guy, you're going to really <laughs> suffer for the next stages. And so, uh, so sometimes it's good to have just one big day and enjoy those, uh, memories and take care of those stories instead of try again the next day and just suffer and remember the whole thing as a devastating <laughs> weekend, you know? Yeah. Even Mattia Marki is actually a human being. It's, it seems he, he actually had to abandon the Atlas uh, mountain race now, as I understood it, because he was, his niece was hurting. So even he is human. <laughs> yeah. But, but then he came to Sanaval and was up at, uh, one of the best riders there so just a few days after. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. <laughs> human with superpowers. <laughs> Yeah, this has been so nice, Jonas. Uh, I really enjoy this. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished by how um, humble you are and uh, such a great personality. It's, it's been a really enjoyable uh, conversation, and I really hope that I get to see you soon again. Uh, I'll take you up on that offer to come join you in, in on one of those events. But hey, good luck with all the racing this year and uh, continue that awesome work that you're doing with your nonprofit, Green Cycling Norway. And thank you very much for coming to the show. Thank you, Marcus. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jonas. That was amazing. I, I, really, I really enjoy what you do for the community there in Norway, how you're trying to help people to get on bikes and even be the source of inspiration for people in the future. So I really hope that that will really be fruitful for you and i'm looking forward to see the results that you will do now during this year all those amazing races as i said i am definitely envious of you being able to travel and do all those and um, the community the people that you get to meet the races that you get to experience uh, amazing so enjoy it i hope you like this episode if you did please leave me a review a comment a like subscribe um, and if you do so, you will be able to get even more content like this. And I have some pretty nice uh, interviews lined up. So bear with me and see you all next week. Until then, have a nice day. Bye bye.